The Messages, a podcast of First Baptist Church of Laurel, Maryland, teaching you to love God, love our neighbors, and love the nations. Here's Pastor Brent Brewer. You got your your Bibles open to Proverbs. I guess you can start in Proverbs 18, and then uh, we're going to get into a bunch of other texts here in just a moment. Uh, While I was uh, making a list about what I wanted to talk about in Proverbs, I put the topic of friendship right away on my list because uh, friendship comes up so often in the book of Proverbs. But if I had to be truthful with you, I I was a little nervous about putting friendship on the list because sometimes it it feels kind of lame to talk about friendship. It it kind of feels like a a Mr. Rogers neighborhood-like kind of sermon, right? Where like we all get in touch with our feelings, and we're all vulnerable with each other, and like we close the service by like, by like hugging and holding hands and singing uh, friends are friends forever, right? And uh, I know that for some of you that sounds appealing, uh, but for a lot of us, especially some of us guys, that sounds about as appealing as a proctology exam, amen? Um, so now this is gonna go into my first point. Uh, First of all, friendships are very, very important in the Bible. Throughout Proverbs, we're going to look at this today. Solomon talks about how essential friendship is for life. Proverbs 18.24 says this, One with many friends may be harmed, but there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Proverbs 17.10 says, Don't abandon your friend or your father's friend, and don't go to your brother's house in your time of calamity. Better a neighbor nearby than a brother far away. You know what's interesting, if you noticed in in both of these passages, is that Solomon is saying that friendship sometimes is more important and valuable than even family. Do you see that? That's pretty remarkable when you consider how family-oriented Hebrew culture was. Family was everything to them. But friendship in Christ, and some of you know this, uh, some of you know this firsthand, you have dear, dear friends in Christ, don't you? And uh, you're blessed by those friends, and you love those friends, but you know, friendship in Christ can in some ways be deeper and more meaningful than family. You know, it's, it's really interesting when, uh, when you look at what Jesus talked about with his disciples right before he died, you know what it was? It was friendship. John 17, Jesus says, Father, let these disciples be one as we are one. In other words, one of uh, the primary goals Jesus had in his death was to create a community of friends that would somehow resemble the Trinity And we all know like the doctrine of the Trinity. We believe in the doctrine of the Trinity here at this church that God exists eternally in in three persons, meaning that that God existed in a community of friends. Uh, This is one thing that separates like Christianity like from other religions. Other religions teach us that, uh, that God created us because he was lonely and he was bored and he needed a buddy. But the doctrine of the Trinity says, no, no, God has dwelt in perfect friendship 
for, for all eternity. He created us not because he was lonely and needed us. He created us because he has a, he's loved us and he has a love to share with us. So when we experience friendship, we are experiencing a, a dimension of God that we can experience in no other way. But on the flip side, to be isolated without friends is to be very unlike God and how he created us to be. In fact, you might remember the first time in the Bible it says, not good. You remember that time when it's used in the Bible? Um, God said to man, it is not good that man should be, what, alone. So God made a little naked friend for him, and uh, man and woman were like the first nudist colony, right? Uh, they had community with each other, and uh, they had community with God. But then, because of our sin, guess what happened? We became, uh, we became isolated, and we were alone again, living primarily for ourselves. It wasn't good. So one of Jesus' primary, uh, primary goals of his work on the cross was a restoration to friendship, what it was supposed to be like, how it's supposed to have other people in our lives and to have God in our lives. And I want you to catch this and miss this. The essence of Christian love is expressed in friendship. You know, a lot of times we think uh, Christian love, here's how it is, it's expressed. Christian love is expressed when we give money to missions. Is giving money to missions, is that a good thing? Yeah, it's a good thing. Sometimes we think, uh, you know, Christian love, it's, it's best expressed in, in going to serve at a homeless shelter. Is that a good thing to do? Yeah, it's a good thing to do. Uh, but Christian love is best expressed first in loving our friends. Jesus said this, by this will all men know you are my disciples. How, by going to church, by reading your Bible cover to cover, uh, no, here's how I'll know you're my disciples, by your love one for another. See, this is the distinguishing characteristic of God's people. They are great friends with each other. Now, let me just say this. Some, some of us like to think of ourselves as involved in the mission of God, but we don't have any non-believing friends. Uh, that is the mission of God. The mission of God is to have friends with people who are far from God, whether those people are at work or across the street or like in the gym. Like friendship is, is very, very important. And I know a lot of Christian people, they like, they like huddle like in their, their holy enclave of other Christian people. And, and it's good to be with other Christian people most of the time. Uh, sometimes it ain't so good, right? Uh, but it's good to be with other Christian people, but uh, there should be space in your life and in my life for non-Christian friends. Friends that are far from God, that we don't come in with a Bible and we just don't come in and say, you know, here's the Bible, I'm gonna beat you over the head with the Bible. That's the way a lot of Christians are. We don't wanna be those kind of friends. We wanna be the kind of friends that are, that are loving, that are caring, that uh, people can trust, that people can look to. So there should be space in all of our lives for non-Christian friends. You need that space. I need that space, why? Because we need, to, we need to be light and salt to those who are without Jesus. And so uh, like last November, uh, some of you know this, like I decided like very purposefully, like I was gonna once again make space in my life to meet non-Christian friends. 
And uh, I've, been, I've been successful at it so far. Uh, I've been at it like four months, and so I, I've been able to, to meet some non-Christian friends. And uh, sometimes they say words that I don't use. Sometimes they listen to music. I don't even know what it's saying, but it, it's probably not good. Um, and they do things that I don't do, but uh, I wanna be near them and I wanna be close to them. Why? Because I wanna show light to them. I wanna show the light of Christ to them. And uh, it's not that uh, I'm gonna go in right away and convert them. They first have to trust me. They first have to know who I am. So I'm not going in there and say, now listen here, you change your speech right now, you clean it up, else I'm out of here. No, no, I wanna love them. It's not like, get ready your music now, turn that music off, and then we'll, no, no, I wanna love them. And see, all of us in all of our lives, we need space in our lives for non-Christian friends. And uh, we need to share the gospel. So I wanna encourage you, uh, share the gospel. Get some non-Christian friends in your life. I try to set two hours aside each week to be with non-Christian friends. I would encourage you to do the same. You'll be blessed if you do. But you know, friendship is, uh, isn't valued much in our culture today, is it? Um, you can read um, or go on the internet. We see lots about romance, lots about sex. Think about the movies and the music and the magazines. It talks a lot about romance more than it does friendship. But friendship is something valued in the Bible. You know, many times uh, our relationships are not based on our enjoyment or our commitment, but to what we get out of the relationship. You know, a lot of times we go to stores, and uh, if the store has what we want, we stay if the price is right, but if they jack the prices up, uh, if the store gets all dingy and dirty or a restaurant gets dingy and dirty, we're like, I I'm out of here. We quit going because the, ultimately the relationship is just a means to an end. What we learned from sociologists across this country that uh, for Americans, we have slipped the concept of commodity into our social relationships. So in other words, uh, a lot of people today, maybe you're some of them, you enter into relationships because of something they get from you. And if you don't get it, what happens is you walk away, whether that's marriage or church or friendship. You know, the more that happens, like the less we talk about friendship because really, real friends are not really a means to anything, like they're the end. Now, personal confession time. Uh, Pam and I, we've been married for uh, a while. Um, and it'll be 28 years this year. Some of you aren't even 28, so you don't have any clue about what that's like. But it can happen, all right? 28 years. And we've been in ministry like all 28 of those years. And uh, I think I could speak for her, I know I'm speaking for myself, she'd agree, I believe. We have had, we think we're nice people, okay? You don't have to answer that right now or smile. Uh, we think we're relatively nice people, but uh, we have had a challenge for 28 years of making friends. Uh, you know why? Uh, here's why, because people always think, I wanna be friends with them, so I can get something out of them. I wanna be friends with them so like I can get some position in church. I wanna be friends with them so uh, you know, they'll like me and they'll be there for me and all that. Now, I, I, I do say this honestly, we do wanna be there for you. 
Uh, we do want to pray with you, help you, encourage you, but you would understand there's like eight or 900 people who call this church their church home. And all eight or 900 of those people think I'm their best friend almost, right? And maybe I am, I don't know, but here's the thing that I would say. If I am all 800 people's best friend, guess what? I am gonna be a lousy friend. I'm not gonna be able to be there all the time for you. I wanna be, my heart's there. I think of you often, I pray for you often by name, but I'm not gonna be a great friend. Uh, but, but I would say this, some people in life, you've experienced them, they want to use you what they get out of the friendship. They're not concerned about being your friend, uh, they're looking to get something out of you. Well, that's kind of a lousy friendship because real friends are not really a means to an end, they are the end, and we should enjoy our friends for who they are and for what God has given to us. So that's point one today, here's point two. What makes friendship so important? I got three quick points here. Friends form us. Proverbs 13, 20 says, the one who walks with wise will be wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. Have you ever seen one of these shows on TV where they uh, prank an unsuspecting person? Like, I've seen these a number of times. Like, uh, one guy, like, one guy gets... In, a, in an empty elevator, and uh, as it goes up floor by floor, like people get on that elevator, but as soon as like one gets on, he faces the rear, and then each floor, another person gets on, and they face the rear, and it goes up like five or six floors, and then what happens is the original guy sees everyone else facing the rear, and what does he do? He turns and faces the rear, right? And uh, he, he, he goes, he doesn't know there's a prank going on, he falls for it. There was another one, uh, this happened in a doctor's office. Uh, everyone's sitting there quietly for a while, out in the waiting area, then uh, each person one by one stands up and undresses down to their underwear. That'd be kind of embarrassing, wouldn't it? Uh, unbelievably, the guy who didn't know what was going on did it too. <laughs> so, uh, the power, the power for the need for acceptance over us. Now you can, you can do two things with what I just told you. You could say, you know, we shouldn't give in and be influenced by peer pressure. We should make our own decisions. That's certainly true. But this is just as important. We need to get new friends around ourselves who are gonna pull us in the right direction. This is what Proverbs is saying. He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the friend of fools shall be destroyed. So if this verse is true, then the most formative thing about your kids is the community they are around. Like if you wanna know right now like what your kids are gonna be like, um, look at who they hang out with. Do they have Christian friends? Do they have Christian community? Where, where you invite Christians, get this, where you invite Christians into your home, they see the value of multi-generational relationships. Now, Pam and I, we've done a lot of bad things with our kids, like we made mistakes, all right? And I'm not gonna tell you all the mistakes, we don't have that much time. But uh, one thing we did do well is ever since they were little, 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 I mean little, like one year old, younger, we've always invited other Christians into our home so they could get to know other Christians who weren't just like their age, uh, but were older than them. 
And uh, we've done that over and over and over. So as they grow up, like I can literally say, my daughter Lauren's sitting right down here. She would tell you, she has people right now in this church and she's had them through her life who are like 50 years older than her. And she would say, that woman right there is my friend. She would say that, even though they're 75 years old, they're my friend. And uh, you know, when I hear her say that or I see them talking, man, that puts a big smile on dad's face, right? Uh, Because it's important to have multi-generational relationships in your life. Like all of us, we need people older than us to give us wisdom. We need people younger than us in our life to help us as well, to encourage us. Every one of you in this room, you ought to have older people in your life. You ought to have younger people in your life. They ought to be pouring into your life. This is what a wise person does. See, friends form us. But here's the second thing I wanna, want us to look at. Friends save us from self-destruction. Where do I get this in Proverbs? Proverbs 27, six, the wounds of a friend are trustworthy, but the kisses of an enemy are excessive. I'm not gonna talk about this long because we talked about this a few weeks ago, but a friend can usually tell you when you're about to do something stupid and you can't see it. Listen, like we all have blind spots, don't we? Uh, All of us need someone who can look us in the face and say, bro, listen, you're blowing it. That's why God gives us friends who can plainly see what we are blind to. Like some of you that are here today, your lives are going real bad. No one is close enough to speak into your life. You're like, "Uh, not me, pastor. Like I don't have blind spots. Well, how do you know? Well, I just know I can't see any. That's why they're blind spots, genius, all right? Uh, That's why we need friends who can speak into our life. You know, pastors who have fallen into adultery, many have this in common. They've gotten so removed from people around them that no one could look into their life and speak honestly into it. You're like, how does a pastor fall into adultery? It's not because they stopped having their quiet time. It's not because they stopped memorizing verses. It's because they've lived their life in isolation from other godly people. Uh, One of the pastors that I follow on social media, he put this up three hours ago. He said this, he says, subject me to enough isolation, stress, and ill-intended criticism, or for that matter, flattery, that doesn't account for my weaknesses, And then he says, lack of accountability, and I am capable of just about any moral failure. It's well said, isn't it? We can't live our lives in isolation. We need people around us to help us, to encourage us, to point out our weaknesses. But here's the third thing friends do. Friends take care of us when life falls apart. Now, not if it falls apart, but when. You know, in another book, Solomon wrote right after this one, Ecclesiastes, he says this in almost a culturally inappropriate way, but he makes his point. Here's what Ecclesiastes says. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their efforts. For if either falls, his companion can lift him up, but pity the one who falls without another to lift him up. Also, if two lie down together, they can keep warm, but how can one person alone keep warm? What's he saying here? When you lie down and life is cold, you need someone to spoon with. That's what he's saying. C.S. Lewis said this, when you go through pain, it's not theological reasoning you most need, it's the slightest touch of human sympathy. You know, studies have shown us that without a close friend, women are 10 times more likely to be depressed. 
When life falls apart, what you need is not a bunch of Facebook friends, but you need a friend that really loves you. Like, I don't know how many Facebook friends I have. I guess it's like 1,000, 1,100. I don't check that kind of thing. But I can tell you this. If I have a birthday party, most of those people aren't coming to my party and bringing me a gift. It ain't happening. Most of those people are not, like, close to me. They can't see the sinful patterns developing. But here's what I need and here's what you need. We need deep, real friendships. People who are close enough to look us in the eye and speak into our lives, to see where where sinful patterns develop and to spoon with us in the cold, metaphorically speaking now. You know, we provide a vehicle for that here, not for spooning now, all right, but for building relationships to develop, we started these things called missional communities uh, last fall. And uh, here at FBCL, we wanna do life together. We wanna share our joys. Life is so much better when you can share your joys with someone. We can shoulder each other's pain because life is better when done in community. And you can do that in a smaller group. We wouldn't just be surrounded by people who are our age. We want you to be, give you a chance of being part of a Christ-centered community. So our missional communities, like Little Plug, you wanna be in one, write us, tell us. Uh, They aren't Bible studies. They aren't just sitting there, open the Bible, that's good. They aren't support groups, that's good. They aren't small groups, that's okay. Uh, What they are is people on mission to reach another group of people, but doing life together. That is so important that we do life together. That's what friends can do. They can support us in that way. Here's the last point I wanna give today, but I'm not done, all right? Uh, What should you look for in, in a friend? What should you look for? Well, you know, in Proverbs, there are three kinds of people. There are people in Proverbs that are described as wise people. There are people in Proverbs described as foolish people. And there are people in Proverbs described as evil people. Now, you and I need to know that we can have healthy relationships and we need to teach our kids the difference between these kinds of people. And some of you, you could teach your grandkids. This will help them a lot in relationships. First of all, I wanna look at wise people. Wise people, Proverbs 9, 8 and 9. Don't rebuke a mocker or he'll hate you. Rebuke the wise, he'll love you. Instruct the wise, he'll be wiser still. Teach the righteous and he will learn more. Now, can we just say this? Not every one of you is wise in every area of life. Do you agree with that? Yes? Yes? Some of you aren't sure. Ask your spouse, okay? Um, You can really be wise in one area and foolish in another. Like, you can be really good at relationships and really bad with money, You can be really good with money and really bad in relationships. Just because we're wise doesn't mean we're wise in every area. So to maintain humility, there is always something for us to learn. You know, in our culture, like we tend to to value highly IQ and not godliness. We tend to value like IQ and not fear and love for the Lord. The Bible though holds in high regard our character. The Bible's always talking about our character. You know, if someone is wise, they're humble. They realize they don't know everything, and as a result, they're teachable. They're willing to listen. They're willing to ask questions. They want to grow. 
If you say something to one of these wise people, they will consider it. They won't become completely defensive. A wise person is always seeking to grow in their wisdom. But you know what else a wise person does is they embrace reality. Like this isn't going well, what do I need to do to fix it? So guys, uh, your wife, your wife is crying a lot and she's cleaning her gun. This probably isn't going real well. That's reality and you're like, I think I need to deal with reality. A wise person understands reality. Like if you keep, uh, if you keep eating foods that end in Edo's, you're gonna die, right? Cheetos, Doritos, Fritos, burritos, taquitos. Um, you know, a wise person will deal with reality, but a wise person also has compassion. They think about the consequences of others. That's when you study the life of Jesus in the Gospels, the most mentioned emotion in the life of Jesus is compassion. He thinks of his life and how it affects and impacts other people. Jesus is not selfish, he is selfless. That's someone who's wise. Wisdom understands that school is always in session. Wisdom is always ready to learn something new. Like that's how a wise person behaves. So in one lane, we've got wisdom. We've got the wise person, all right? Then Proverbs talks about this kind of person, the foolish person. You know, foolish people aren't necessarily people who lack intellect. They just lack the humility to learn. Some of you are raising this teenager. Bless you. <laughs> I'm finished. All right. What happens when you're dealing with foolish people is all they want to do is argue. You know, the internet doesn't help. Like the internet is the Greek word for foolishness, right? Uh, when it comes to foolish people, let me give you a couple verses. Proverbs 1, 7, the end of the verse says this, fools despise wisdom and discipline, meaning you can't teach them anything. They know everything. Or they have an excuse. Well, this is how this works, and they respond by saying, not for me. This is how it's done, not for me. I'm the exception. They always have an excuse, they don't like discipline, they don't like order, they don't like responsibility, they're always looking for a get-rich-quick scheme or a shortcut, there isn't one. That's a mark for foolishness. Proverbs 26.3 is another verse. One of you gave me this verse a couple weeks ago, we were together. Uh, a whip for the horse, a bridle for the donkey, and a rod for the back of fools. You probably shouldn't put that on your refrigerator, should you? Um, what this says is that foolish people learn through painful consequences, right? Wise people let other people, one pastor puts it this way, wise people let other people pay their dumb tax. There's always a dumb tax and somebody's gonna pay it. A foolish person is always paying their own dumb tax. They don't learn about money until they've lost all their money. They don't go and call a marriage counselor until their spouse has left. They don't read a parenting book until their kids are breaking commandments on YouTube. Like, it's never too late, but it can be more painful the longer you wait. Foolish people learn through, through consequences. Now, pain is what motivates a foolish person. They don't change. 
They don't get a job. They don't move forward. They don't read their Bible. They don't start healthy habits until it hurts so bad that a crisis has come. And let's be honest, all of us have areas in our life or seasons in our life where we have been foolish. I surely have mine. There were times in my life that I have made foolish decisions. You might say, what were some, what were some of those? I'm not telling because I don't have enough time, right? I've made a ton of foolish decisions in my life. But there are things I've said, there are things I've done that have been foolish and, 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 and I recognize there are areas that, that all of us have, have practiced foolishness. You know, the foolish person, they tend to be irresponsible. And what happens is, irresponsible people find overly responsible people and they back up their truck of responsibilities and dump their load. Now I want you to think about this. Here's an irresponsible person, here's their truck, and here's a responsible person over here. And so here's their truck, and they back their truck up. Doot, doot, doot. Back of the truck goes up, all the responsibilities go out the back of the truck and onto the overly responsible person. And they ask questions like this, could you pay my bills? Could you do my laundry? Can I live at your house? Mom, can you take the crust off my peanut butter and jelly even though I'm 37 years old? Now, uh, what I'm about ready to say, uh, I'm saying because I love you, okay? This is gonna go into the pastoral rant stage, all right? The most foolish people in our culture right now are young men. Single men in their 20s and 30s are less likely to go to church. Church is 60% female, 40% male. That's why a lot of godly young women are having trouble finding a potential husband. So I want you to think about this. What happens in our culture with young men? We have created a whole stage of life for young men to be foolish. Do you know what we call it? Adolescence. It used to be you were a boy, then some rite of passage came along, then you would be a man. And here's what would happen when you became a man. You would leave your parents' house, you would get something called a job, you would work, you would marry, you would have a family, and you would take responsibility. Now the question is, when does a young man become a man? Is it 16 when he gets his driver's license? Is it 18 when he gets out of high school? Is it 22 when he gets out of college? Is it when he gets married? Is it when he has a kid? Nobody knows. You know, today the, the average man is marrying at 30 plus years of age first time, so by the time he is age 16 to 30, he isn't spending all of his time reading the book of Leviticus and catching up on his quiet time. You know what a lot of single guys are doing in our culture today? They are breaking commandments. That's what they're doing. They are dating and relating and fornicating. That's what they do. See, in that time, in this time, an entire industry has come in to feed this kind of foolishness. So if you're a young guy here today, this is what I wanna encourage you to do, young men. Load yourself up with responsibilities. Load yourself up with responsibilities because that's how you mature is by taking on responsibilities. See, wise, wise people live by the power of the Holy Spirit. Foolish people live by the power of the flesh.
So we got wise people in Proverbs, we got foolish people, and here's the last kind, we have evil people. Proverbs 2.12 says, it'll rescue from the way from evil, what will wisdom, from anyone who says perverse things, from those who abandon the right paths to walk in the ways of darkness, from those who enjoy doing evil, celebrate perversion, whose paths are crooked and whose ways are devious. Now, can I just ask you this question? Are there evil people in the world today, yes or no? Yeah, if you were raised in church, like I was raised in church, you know, we were told like love everybody, hug everybody, trust everybody, everybody has a good heart. Uh, No, they don't, all right? There are some really nasty people. Now, not everyone is nasty, but there are some dangerous, evil people. Foolish people inadvertently cause you problems. Evil people intentionally cause you problems. A foolish person says, I wasn't thinking about you when I made that decision. An evil person says, I was thinking about you and I hope all of that pain would have happened to you. You know, there are some men, and I've met a few in my day, even Christian men, that are, uh, that are evil. What do I mean by that? Your wife can't say anything because she's scared of you. Someone needs to tell you, and I'm telling you right now, out of Christian love, that you are domineering, you're overbearing, and your intimidation tactics are evil. You like it that way because you can win and dominate. Now, let me give you a little piece of advice. No man ever won a fight with his wife. Amen? Because the two, the two are supposed to be one. You're supposed to do life together. See, wisdom will save you from evil people. See, when it comes to relationships, it's three lanes. It's wise people, it's foolish people, and it's evil people. So what can you do, what can you do with someone who's wise? You can have a relationship with them. That's what you can do. They can become your friend. Someone who is foolish, you need to have a more pastoral relationship with them. Think about how a pastor deals with a congregant. But when you have an evil person, that person, that relationship needs to be professional. You're like, I can't, I can't help you. No, they're not beyond help, but they're probably beyond your help. They need to see an attorney, they need to see a therapist, they need God and a professional who can help them. But you know, some of us, we walk around with this like a fix it, savior mentality, I am going to fix them. Uh, You don't know how many young ladies, or older ladies even, uh, enter into romantic relationships with people saying, I am going to fix him. No, you are not. Uh, they are drowning and they don't want a lifeguard. So swimming in after them only puts you in harm's way. It doesn't put put them in the way of being rescued. So we all know people in these categories. Evil, foolish, wise. My life energy and I think your life energy needs to be invested in people who are wise. You tell someone who's wise some basic instructions, you know what they do, they get rolling. They aren't gonna fight and argue, they're gonna go to work. A foolish person, it takes so much energy to get them to move. Like I have to like keep talking, I have to keep praying for you, I have to keep checking in on you. 
Evil people, it doesn't matter how much time or energy or money you put into them, they aren't moving because they don't want to. And see, the key to everything is the want to. Once somebody has figured out the want to, you can teach them the how to. I want to invest in people that are wise. Jesus, for some of you, you need a friend today, and Jesus wants you to choose wise friends. Some of you don't know Jesus. He wants you to choose him. Listen, there's no wiser friend than Jesus. Let me tell you a little bit about Jesus. His love was genuine. He gave it all. We sang that a few minutes ago for us. Jesus' love was constant. He loved us when we were at our most unlovely. Jesus' love is dependable. If he didn't leave us at our lowest, he's not gonna leave us now. Jesus' love was honest. He told me what I needed to hear even when it made me mad enough to crucify him. That's what Jesus did for us. Jesus knew us completely and he loved us thoroughly. See, the gospel is that we're more wicked than we ever realized, yet more loved by God than we ever dreamed at the same time. Having been loved this way, we can love others. See, real friendship is the expression and extension of the gospel. And for some of you, you're searching for something, you're like, I don't have any friends. Jesus wants to be your friend. But more than Jesus wanting to be your friend, he wants to be your savior and your God. Some of you need to say, I need to plant my flag with Jesus. But some of you are Christians, and what you need to start doing is, you need to start investing your time and energy into wise friends. Listen, it's okay to have some friends who are foolish because you can come along and pastor them. It's probably not a good idea to have all your friends being evil. That's probably not a good life plan for you. And so my prayer, church, is that you will find friends who are wise. I'd like to think if someone's coming in this door today, new to our church, they'd find some wise friends here. Do you know how you find a wise friend? Be a friend. Some people say, like, I've been to the church like three months, I've not met anyone. Who have you spoken to? No one. Do you think that might be a correlation? Maybe. So uh, let's be a good friend. Let's be wise friends. Let's be godly friends to people in this body. Amen? Thanks for listening to the Messages Podcast of First Baptist Church of Laurel. Want to get a hold of us or know more about us? Go to our website, fbclaurel.com. You can also connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just use FBC Laurel. If you're in the Maryland, D.C., Virginia area, join us at one of our services on Sunday at 8 a.m., 1045 a.m. in English or Spanish. We look forward to connecting with you. The Messages.